the Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Broke. Broke. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I got to tell you, H, this week I'm, I'm in a dark place because I recently bought a 4K computer monitor Hmm. and my good old it literally it's been such a trusty companion for seven years now my 2012 macbook pro is just crying trying to push out this 4k image oh yeah uh it is uh it's clocking it at a cool 30 frames a second which i didn't realize felt so bad on a computer um when you're just (laughs) navigating an operating system and uh yeah, I think it might be time for me to look at a new MacBook, uh, or at least a new Mac, which is, there's no way I'm getting out of this for under 2000 and my wallet is uh, mm. is also crying. You know, I, I have a pretty good monitor setup right now. I have, I have three monitors, they're all 1080p, and I've always been a little like, I don't know, like I don't see anything lacking, and I'm kind of afraid to start using 4K monitors because... Then I'll notice like, oh, actually it doesn't look as good as I thought it did. And then I'll get into like that upgrade itch. But uh, for now I'm happy and I'm trying to keep it that way for as long as possible. I will say I was looking for a display because I'm, because I do design color accuracy is sort of Mm -hmm. one of the top things for me. And the Dell Ultra Sharp Teen Q, I think, or something like that is the name of the the monitor. And it's not quite... Uh, full like iMac Apple quality, but it is it's pretty close and it feels great on the Mac. But boy, oh boy, I just think 2012 did not see this number of pixels on an external monitor coming. Uh, did you get one of those ultra wide monitors? No, in fact, I had one and I used it for a long time, but I was never happy with it. I think the because the screen was so big, the pixels were just kind of stretched out and mm. it never uh, it wasn't that it distorted the image, but it was not the pixel density that I needed for everything to look sharp. Oh, so okay. I was like going to work and one things looked one way and then I'd come home and the color accuracy be, be be way off. But like audio editing, boy, oh boy, what a joy on an ultra wide monitor. You see like the whole track as you're doing stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, I do like having multiple monitors because it allows me to like really easily of segment my work, just drop a window and another monitor, and I can kind of continue that over there. But uh, yeah, just kind of the seamlessness of the display is tempting. Um, you know, there's uh, the three monitors that I have are all the same make and model, but for some reason, even though they're supposed to be the exact same, and I just ordered the same item three times, one of them is like <laughs> like a little eighth of an inch taller than the other two, and it kind of bothers me because they just don't line up perfectly so especially when i have like triple monitor gaming like it looks great but if i just like watch that space in between the the left and the middle monitor it just uh yeah just doesn't quite line up there's some cool settings in mac os that kind of let you fiddle with that and actually like physically position the monitors in space like next to each other i don't know if windows does that or not yeah, I have that capability, but then I think it starts getting to like messing up the um, like triple screen wallpapers because it's technically like a different pixel ratio or whatever. I don't know. Oh, it, it gets weird. I just yep. kind of have to pick my poison. Yeah. And if anybody has uh, three monitors like my insane co-host here, who's apparently living in the Matrix, <laughs> uh, go check out H's Twitter because you you shared a couple. Didn't you do a big Smash Brothers three panel wallpaper? At one yeah, point, yeah, yeah. So there's some good stuff on uh, 
hopefully they're not compressing the heck out of it on on Twitter. But uh, yeah, well, I can send original files as well. Ooh, um, get up in his DMs. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like good triple monitor display. Something that gives me a lot of uh, a lot of space to design. It's fun. Uh, anyways, let's. Speaking of design, let's get to some video games. We're going to pitch some original video game ideas, as we do every week on the show, and workshop them until we just can't stand to think about them anymore. (laughs) Until we're sick of them. This week, I'll be going first, and um, I'm going to be pitching a VR game, as we often do, uh, mostly because I just really want the accuracy of those one-to-one motion controllers. And of course, if any other system offered something like that, then uh, this could be adopted to um, to that system. But uh, for, for all intents and purposes right now, I'm going to be talking VR. So what I want to do, um, one of my absolute favorite games, like of all time, pretty much, is uh, Disney's Fantasia Music Evolved, which is produced by Harmonix uh, for the Xbox 360 and Xbox One, specifically for the Kinect. And in that one, you are uh, following kind of a series of on-screen, on-screen directional arrows and, and circles you have to kind of hold your hands within. Uh, it, it kind of looks like one of those more abstract rhythm games, uh, like you would see uh, like a, a Citus or uh, any of those ones that you see on, um, on mobile or PlayStation Vita, uh, that style of rhythm game uh, where you're not necessarily like playing a series of notes it's just kind of like things appear on screen and you react to them as it's happening Um, uh, but one of the cool things about that game is that instead of playing an instrument you're kind of like remixing the song as it goes and you're swapping out instruments in and out and you are more or less kind of playing as the conductor and they use that um, they use the silhouette that they take from the connect uh, to place you at the very bottom of the screen, kind of like the the conductor in the Fantasia movies. And so it, that's kind of the framing device there. And I wanted to kind of take that to the next level and to use motion controls to conduct an orchestra in VR. And so I'm thinking it would require some level of training. Um, the right hand would be used to keep the tempo. And of course, you can up the tempo, you can you can bring the tempo down and maybe um, maybe that's preferable for certain parts of the music. Maybe sometimes you are kind of tested on keeping that tempo very regular. Yeah. Um, so you're doing that with your right hand and then your left hand you can use to kind of signal instruments to join or to drop out or, or kind of just, you know, give a lot of like hand gestures that would bring the volume down or, or really punch it up or something. And essentially, while there would be some music that is composed in a very specific way that you have to follow throughout the course of whatever kind of story mode or, or whatever it's it's framed to be. I also want it to be freedom to freestyle and to really take these pieces of music and um, get the most out of them. You know, have fun getting up there and conducting. So with that, let's uh, let's conduct this orchestra. I'm going to start the clock there. One of the things I like about this, and you you actually turned me on to Fantasia, uh, music evolved is Fantasia music evolved in, in a lot of ways feels like, um, I actually maybe prefer its aesthetic a little bit, but like a proto beat saber, um, mm-hmm. in some of the sort of hand motions that it has you doing, but beat saber has the satisfaction of the virtual stick, which I think goes a long way here. And conductors have those little sticks that they hold and they have to be very delicate with. But right. one of the things that when you talked about having instruments drop in and drop out, 
I played in a band uh, with a conductor before and she was always, she never really explained to us what she was looking for in certain situations, but you could tell from her body motion or how emphatically Mm -hmm. she was calling sections of the orchestra that she wanted more volume or more intensity, or she wanted us to slam down on certain notes uh, with ferocity. And I think like, being able to teach someone that like maybe emotion that's like the like that beckons a particular part of the orchestra is how you can like ask for more from a section. Uh, there's a particularly funny and I know that we reference this a lot on Playwright, but there's a, a really funny Mr. Bean sketch I was thinking of uh, during his Christmas episode. He goes around and kind of collects some money for a a band that is out performing um, on the street, just as uh, street performers, just performing some Christmas music. He uh, he fills up the bucket um, with donations from the crowd, gives it back to the to the conductor who goes and takes it to his car. So he leaves Mr. Bean with the baton to conduct the orchestra while he's gone. And of course, he doesn't have experience doing that, but the orchestra is just like, uh, I say orchestra, it's like a five-piece band, sure, really. Sure, like a small um, band, is um is kind of hyper reactive to everything that he does and it's just so fun to watch him in his uh kind of excellent like rowan atkinson acting style of uh just being very uh very exaggerated with his facial expressions and the little uh subtle kind of movements that he makes um to to watch him kind of figure out how to conduct an orchestra as he goes and so yeah and so yeah have those little kind of like gestures that you can do to uh to have maybe unexpected results I think that's cool. I'm I'm actually watching that sketch as you describe it, and he's physically dialing the volume knob is very funny. <laughs> I also yeah. like moments. I feel like there are certain uh, composers or band leaders who, at different points during a performance, actually take part in the music, and so they might turn around and maybe play a little guitar or something for the crowd, or maybe there's uh, there could be like maybe a little tiny breaks where things are just so intense that you get that sort of guitar hero star power moment to show off and like pull out an instrument of your own uh, of your own choosing and kind of rock along with the band. Now there could be additional challenges that you add to this as well. Um, perhaps you are in a uh, in a poorly sealed studio and there are pigeons that are swooping in and you have to with your other hand uh, <laughs> maybe throw rocks at them or, or you know little challenges like that to kind of break up the monotony and, and to make it a little bit more unpredictable yeah you know even if you did if you tied it a little bit more to um realism you could have different levels where like sometimes you're doing live performances sometimes you're performing in adverse environments uh maybe it's low visibility for your band so your gestures have to be super big or something like yeah, that to, that's a good one to get stuff out of them but then also like the in-studio scoring a movie composer who has to kind of react to the film that is being uh played in the background or you're sort of watching something and trying to evoke the feeling of the scene um and really try and you know nail it as opposed to being the opposite of it although maybe maybe sometimes that could work too that is always really interesting i really love watching on uh dvd extras yeah uh, the behind the scenes footage of somebody scoring along with the movie and that seems Seems very stressful. I, I'd even heard before, and it's been a while since I've heard this, so I don't remember the source or whether it's true, but it feels like the kind of thing that would be true is that um, the uh, the creators of The Simpsons are very musically gifted. They kind of score the 
sound effects um, by playing guitar along with the episode. And so they load each of the sound effects onto like a different note or a different chord or something like that. And then as it's supposed to trigger, then they would be playing it on their instruments. And so uh, I, I guess similar idea to a very different end. That's interesting because it's kind of, that means every episode of The Simpsons is technically a musical in some weird way, which is sort of (laughs) wild. Yeah. What else can we do with a conductor? I'm thinking of the conditions. I'm thinking about like, maybe there's something that has to be done to like, what if a certain section gets out of tempo? Like we have like the band, the Mm. entire band being able to kind of come up and down based on the wave of your wand, but maybe there's times where you have to sort of use your second hand to gesture to a part of your orchestra and kind of, you know, set their tempo again. And then you're kind of getting both of your hands moving in lockstep to, so you're slowly bringing up the tempo of your, say, right hand to catch a part of the band up to the rest of the band. You'd have to cue them into, uh, to join the music at the right time, which would pri- kind of primarily set um, their timing with the music as their, their head counting as well. That would be a, a difficult task. Yeah. Getting, uh, doing two different tempos on, uh, both of your hands separately. Yeah. There's also this sort of gesture that you, you've even seen it probably in film or whatever, where, uh, a conductor is stopping a group or silencing, which is sort of taking your hand, making a circle counterclockwise mm-hmm. and kind of pulling it out, um, to the you know, opposite side or away from the center of your body. I think that was a correct description of that. And yeah. I could definitely see using an Oculus controller and using the two, um, the sort of side trigger and the top trigger to create that feeling of like the grip and pull to maybe even like if a section of your band comes in at the wrong time to quickly silence them and then cue them in again. I'm, I find myself gesturing throughout this entire conversation. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, to have um, this would have specific pieces of music that uh, that would be played um, that are very adaptable, maybe composed with like really good sound fonts that, you know, you can have instruments dropping in and out. You can have them changing speeds without, you know, getting the without affecting the pitch of the instruments playing. But uh, yeah, essentially, like it would have a selection of pieces that you could play through. And everyone's performance would just be like a little bit different because everyone is a little bit different as a conductor. And it would just be neat to see on YouTube all of these uh, videos of these similar songs posted that are all done in very creative ways. Yeah, I think if you give people the levels of articulation of choosing to maybe every song has multiple sections of the orchestra. Not every song is intended for all the sections to always be used or you say that, you know, all but two sections can ever be in use. So people have to make creative choices through it as to what instrumentation appears at what points in the song. And then between that and tempo articulation, you could really get very physical creative performances that would be very fun to watch, I think, in VR. As fun as maybe watching someone play Guitar Hero for the first time. I remember that was a real thrill to see someone good at Guitar Hero. Well, let's close that down and let's come up with a name. As much as it sounds like 1980s computer software, I feel like the word maestro might need to appear. I was thinking of like code of conduct, but that doesn't really, (laughs) really fully sell it, I think. Keep your composure or something like that. (laughs) Keep your composer.
I mean, if you did it all as a zombie orchestra, you could call it decompose. That would be interesting and maybe not a bad uh, touch for something like this, just to give it a little bit of a visual identity. Yeah, give it like a Day of the Dead look or something. Well, we can go with decompose, try to work your undead orchestra (laughs) out from... uh, out from playing the the graveyard shifts entirely to uh, the the greatest concert halls in in Europe. Let it be known, we're not afraid to add massive scope to the end of a pitch in order to uh, <laughs> recognize. Uh, Come up with a an good appropriate pun. pun. That's right. <laughs> All right, that's me. Q, what are you writing today? I'm pitching something a little bit different than I've pitched in in recent history. It might be more like some of my old pitches, but I want to pitch this week a story-driven linear action-adventure game where uh, the player or potentially multiple players play as three wizards, one that manipulates gravity and physics, one that has powers over fire, water, the sort of elements, and one that is like a healer plus a necromancer, a life-and-death sort of wizard. The narrative might be something like when wizards turn 18, they're sent out into the the wild to go um, and and build their skills, and they are not allowed to return to the sort of wizard chantry until they overcome a great challenge. And maybe these three people are friends beforehand. Maybe they don't get along. You know, whatever we want to do with that. Very few wizards, if any, end up returning. Maybe they've never heard of a wizard returning after they're sent away. And so that's kind of the mystery. I think that you could do things with uh, combat. You could do like an Arkham City style character switching. You could do maybe maybe this is VR and you get sort of spell casting and stuff. But I don't know. Let's see what we can do with this. Okay. And I'll start the clock there. So recently I've been, well, not only just recently, I, I started playing divinity original sin at the beginning of last year i think and i've been kind of like playing it off and on uh, divinity original sin to the sequel specifically i've been playing it off and on since then i'm just kind of taking a little bit here and there as it goes it's a long game and so it's just nice to kind of like settle into when i have uh, some free time in the evening i'm not good at those types of games um any games that require like large amounts of specialization down very like winding paths of magic and sorcery and stuff like that. Like I just can't really ever seem to figure it out. And I think I might be dumb, which is fine. (laughs) Uh, But you know, I, I feel like even though there are some things that I know how to do that seem like pretty clever manipulations of the, the spells that I have at my disposal, you know, I look at people online who are like, you know, summoning summoning these familiars and and creating these kind of massive like spells and all these things like at a lower level than I'm at. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm interested in getting into something that allows for that level of self-expression and um, creativity through magic. But uh, I yeah. If it could be tailored down to somebody like me who has trouble with any of the kind of like more complicated RPG or CRPG systems. Yeah, I I think so. I feel the same way. I think that that stuff run amok is very, uh, it becomes too much in a way that like, even if you leave it for a little while, you get just something that is like, you don't even remember how to do half the moves in the game. But I think like, if you had a fable level or a sort of 
you know, maybe four spells and then hold down a modifier and potentially four more. And that even seems like it could potentially be a lot for each of the characters. Then you kind of know in combat you want to sort of be the elemental caster person and the healer slash necromancer can be like reviving dead allies and also... Um, you know, healing one of, you know, the other characters and the other one could be creating obstacles and stuff for the bad guys. So I I think it's more almost like if you could switch between three characters in a character action game than if you did something where everybody's got the sphere grid. The sphere grid is like what I point to is like something I can't even, you know, tell. Okay. Interesting. So um, one of a uh... One of the ideas that I've had in my mind for a long time, not necessarily for a video game, but just for kind of like a story, like if I ever had the patience to sit down and write a novel, then this would probably be what I would go to. Um, but it's like a fantasy novel where you're following these this kind of group of, of knights um, kind of famous within this kingdom, uh, trying to protect it from this kind of existential threat that is approaching. And, uh, you know, you spend almost like a, a book's worth of time with them as they are, you know, walking through the kingdom and making their way kind of like the Hobbit, making their way to this location where they have to, uh, you know, to save the world essentially. And then their story just kind of ends when they get there and you pick up in the years later with everybody just saying that they had failed um, because they've not come back and the sex essential threat is still, coming closer, but you don't really have any information on how they failed. Mm. And so at that point, you're following kind of a new group of people who aren't necessarily knights. They're just kind of like common people who are decided to take the safety of their land into their own hands instead of entrusting it to the um, these kind of royal knights. Uh, and they find eventually that the knights had, um, had joined this opposing force on their own accord for reasons that you know just for the sake of brevity i'm not going to get into but there it was more of like a like a moral decision that actually this this invading force is correct in what they're doing and and though it looks like we've been brainwashed and turned against you you know we have uh. made a conscious decision to uh to swap sides here so you know i i i'm thinking that if this is kind of like a multi-generational thing then having characters that you follow for a long time and then kind of immediately rooting you through new characters and, and not really given, given being given a thorough explanation of what happened before and having to kind of find out yourself what happened to the previous generation of explorers could make for maybe like an interesting roguelike setup or even if that only happened once or twice throughout the entire game uh, would be kind of an interesting premise. Yeah, that's cool. I... For whatever reason in my head, one of the things that I kept going back to is the idea of the reason why the wizards are not returning is that there is some corruption within the sort of wizardry itself. Like they design the sort of castaway system in such a way that, of course, the adventurers never make it back. And maybe that's the whole that's a, you know, set up a plot twist or something in the game. But um, you know, spoiler alert for a game that doesn't exist. But I think the the idea of generational could be really interesting because then you get yourself into 
a situation where maybe each of the adventurers have different powers at different times, or you always are getting different mixes of those adventurers mm-hmm. and you're trying to navigate your way through, okay, how is this group going to interact together? And it would feel almost, almost like dead cells, I guess, in that way. Yeah. And uh, learning a little bit more about this order as you are going through these generations of trials, I'm thinking the more that we talk about this, the more this sounds like the way that the um, the Last Jedi framed the Jedi Order and how, you know, obviously we grow up thinking that Jedi are the good guy, but we've kind of seen in the extended fiction kind of both sides of that now. And, you know, maybe this dogmatic group of space police actually weren't everything that they were cracked up to be. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think about how something like that plays into the mechanics. Because I was like... Uh, I don't feel like I've ever played the sort of wizardy game. I feel like those, since wizards almost always get lumped in with fantasy, which is almost always an RPG genre, or you kind of get the action RPG that Diablo likes, I would love to see what wizards would play like in a Devil May Cry-ish setting or an Uncharted slash Last of Us-like setting. Like, what? I guess maybe Dark Souls is sort of doing that, but that's so unforgiving and i think the the magic systems in dark souls are a little they're plotting in a way that this you know you want somebody who's casting fireballs to feel really fun and quick get that sense of power about you um i think one of the most interesting experiments that i've seen in that vein is uh devil may cry 5 earlier this year that had the um that one character who was who kind of thought exclusively by summoning um, like a panther and a, a falcon or something like that to fight for him, basically. Um, although he had to make the the last hit on any enemy. And uh, that's just such an interesting, like you wouldn't think that would ever be the way that you would want to fight for in a uh, character action game, you know, to be doing <laughs> anything from afar and to be kind of commanding somebody else to do all the fighting for you. But uh, there certainly is a uh, an interesting balance that's struck in those levels. Yeah, and I think that having the the dynamism of three people and maybe it's a three different people every time you could do the sort of style storytelling that is discovering bits of the lore, reading it, you know, so much of wizard fiction is around like the records that are kept and the books that are out there and the maybe even the secret spells, like unlocking a secret spell means that the next generation it has a chance to sort of random roll for um, because like that knowledge is added back into the wizarding community and that's how you handle power-ups. There we go. Well, let's cast this one out and come up with a name. Oh, I didn't come in with one. Uh, the Wizards of Waverly Place. No. Um, I feel like, so casting is a magic term, but you're also dealing with a rotating cast of characters. I wonder if there's something like a cast of casters or something like that. I don't know. What if you just did, uh, this is probably taken, but just cast out. Cast out? That's fine. They are being cast out. They are casters. They're a cast of people. Castaways. <laughs> Castaways, yeah. Okay. Castaways well, yeah. is probably stronger. Castaways, just like the movie, tie in with that. Um, okay, yeah, we can go with that. Let's move on to our community pitch. We uh, we do have one community pitch today. Um, this is coming from uh, somebody named Mephi, who was kind enough to email in, basically saying that he has a very uh, extensive 
Max Payne pitch, uh, story pitch, um, which certainly sounds interesting. If you'd like to send uh, a bit of that in, then we'd be happy to uh, discuss it. Uh, mention in the email that uh, the story as it's drafted now is around 18,000 words, which is probably Ooh. more than we are able to do uh, on the show here. <laughs> but, um, you know, we'd, we'd love a summary if you want to, uh, to send something in. Um, you know, we are certainly able to approach these video game ideas from any direction. Um, but for now, uh, is that, that's more of kind of an introductory email. And so we have not heard back uh, just yet since. Um, but if we uh, if we do receive a follow-up, then we will follow up with that. But uh, that leaves us a little shorthanded when it comes to uh, community pitches this week. And so I think you had an interesting idea, Q. Yeah. So I stumbled upon recently and, and joined r slash game ideas, which boy, oh boy, I wish I knew existed two years ago when we started this podcast, <laughs> because I think that there's a lot of interesting kind of cool ideas in there. Some of them are mixed. We're going to um, look at uh, one of those ideas today. And we're also um, I will be posting, I think we'll be posting in the R Game Ideas to invite people from R Game Ideas to come and share their ideas on the show as well. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're from Game Ideas, please, we would love to have you. Uh, and if you don't want to be on the show or you don't feel like you have a good mic or something, feel free to write in at playwrightcast.com or uh, playwrightcast at gmail.com. Those are two ways to just send in your video game idea. It can be a copy and paste from your your Reddit idea, but we'll give you your name and credit and and you'll hear us discuss it on the show. Great. So are we, uh, do you have one in particular that you would like to, to highlight on today's show? And we can discuss that in lieu of a community contribution. Here's one of the more popular pitches. Uh, this comes from Reddit user Smidley. Uh, that's S-M-I-D-L-E-Y. Here's the pitch. In this game, you start off in an arbitrary place, like an office building or living room. Suddenly, you see hot lava approaching, and your only option is to run in one direction for as long as possible. The longer you're alive, the faster the lava flows towards you. Here's the fun part that comes in. You have to overcome obstacles uh, in order to keep running and stay alive longer. For example, if you have to run through a house, you'll need to break down walls or windows with your hands to get through. You can find things like crowbars to assist with this. Uh, naturally destructible environments. I like that sort of naturally, of course. Uh, these would be very fun in VR since you're, you'd be swinging your hands around, trying to find your way through things, attempt, attempting to distance yourself from the lava. He goes on to say, I can imagine looking out my living room window and seeing lava fast approaching. Ooh, this just got dark. Uh, and trying to run out of my house and through other people's yards and houses or through a mall. You get the idea. Uh, other things you could run from could be water, a flood, a swarm of bees, etc. Mm. All right. Let's start the clock there. You know, this reminds me a lot of um, of the shrinking bubble like you would see in Fortnite or, or Battlegrounds, uh, where... You know, as the ring kind of encloses you, you have to get to the center of it and to that safe spot. Uh, I think that uh, as we are, you know, if we were to try to develop something like this in real life, I would think that lava and liquid would be uh, difficult to do and would be easier, at least in the conceptual stages, to uh, just kind of approach it like it's a 
like a storm enclosing like you would see in Fortnite or just kind of a, an out-of-bounds area um, that can maybe like a solid wall that can push you up against and squish you like a grape, anything that you are stuck against. Um, but it's funny that uh, that he mentioned in there the mall specifically, because that is like the area that I was thinking of as well, of like that would be an interesting place to try to to try to navigate. As I just finished season three of Stranger Things, certainly a mall uh, seemed like mm-hmm. a prime place to be doing some running, uh, especially because of all those sort of back entrances where all the stores are connected and the options of elevators and escalators and, of course, plain old stairwells and all the different sort of stores and potential things you'd have access to in a mall. I like I do like the idea of lava just because I think you could have lava if this is VR and you don't necessarily want to get somebody sick. um, Lava could be sort of an ever encroaching thing that is not necessarily at a breakneck speed, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're just like slowly, I think the one thing that battle Royales have when you said that sort of circle closing in is that it's kind of nothing for a while. And then suddenly it goes into a good clip. And I think I would like to see something that's a little bit more like at, you know, a slow moving horror. Hmm. Okay. I think the challenge there is that people have the ability to move pretty quickly. And so I don't want anyone to get to the point where they're so far ahead that it's not really even on the radar anymore. You know, if you can always move significantly faster than threat encroaching, um, you know, if this was something a little bit more fast paced, like the, the speed of like a like an endless runner or a Pepsi man or something like that, where you have to react quickly and you have to think on your feet. You know, I want to not give people the time to necessarily be able to like double back or they'd have to make, at least make difficult decisions, you know, running through a mall instead of going around it uh, because going around it would take a long time of just moving horizontally instead of moving vertically if we're looking from a bird's eye view in the direction you want to go um, that's costing you time but if you were to charge through it then you're entering a more labyrinthian space that might be difficult to find an appropriate exit uh, to come out of so i guess that could work at either speed though yeah well it's interesting and by the way congratulations on invoking pepsi man i didn't think i was ever gonna think about that game again we're only about 110 episodes in so about time right <laughs> Yeah, I think the Pepsi Man pace could be fun, but like if you were going to do, I think that that makes sense to me if you're going to do something on the scale of, you know, a mall or a city block Mm -hmm. or something like that. But the feeling of being inside of a small house and lava slowly melting that house and... You know, he he talks about here, uh, or I shouldn't say he, they talk about here, like scrambling to find a crowbar or something to break out of a window or that feeling that uh, Wendy has when she's trying to escape the bathroom in The Shining of like, if I could just wedge this window open, I could get away from this uh, lava. You could do something that feels a little bit like that, where just like slowly room after room and potential objects, potential solves to the puzzle of escape are being taken off the table as time progresses. It kind of turns it into like a escape room type of thing. Yeah, it sort of does, right? <laughs> after after 10 minutes, the room fills with lava. Right. Yeah, and it would it would be like interesting that if you run out of enough time, you're kind of in the second floor of your house, and then 
Uh, obviously, pieces of the house are melting, so you know floors start to collapse, things start to get lit on fire, uh, becomes inhospitable. But yeah, I think the other way, kind of fun, because the Endless Runner, I think, hasn't done a good job of capturing, <laughs> maybe Pepsi Man came closest, the Hollywood blockbuster, that sort of Indiana Jones running from the boulder mm-hmm. That Crash Bandicoot running from the boulder. There's a lot just, of boulders all around. Yeah, I was going to say, just generally anything Naughty Dog does. But that feeling of something is happening, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a snow avalanche too, right? That's another example of you yeah. could set something in one of those environments. And maybe depending, you do multiple environments. And depending on the environment, you have a very different pace Um, But the settings are similar enough that you sort of learn what tools you need to navigate what. So you're like, okay, I'm looking for a crowbar because there's two windows here. And then there's a door. If I can find a key, then I can get out of the door. Otherwise, I have to break the door down, in which case I need an axe. You kind of learn like a common language of navigating out of buildings that way. What's kind of the the fun part about about those types of Naughty Dog like games um, like Uncharted and I think The Last of Us had some of that in there and and the new Tomb Raider games and even like Split Second, the racing game on the Xbox 360. There's a great attention paid to it being very cinematic and it being very stressful and um, but at the same time you are always under the impression that you are following a very, very specific route like you are basically just like strung along in a straight line and every once in a while um, they give you some chance to maybe take like a branching pathway. Um, but you can, it, it's, it feels like a Hollywood movie where, you know, certain things are rigged to fall, but they're always going to fall in such a way that they never <laughs> land on you. And, and, you know, anytime that the camera breaks away is like, it's a relief because it's like, oh, well, they're taking control away from me for a few seconds. That mean, I can't possibly die in the next few seconds, even though like what is being highlighted by the camera should make you feel more scared. And so it's just all of these, all of these, um, these beats and all of these kind of big, grand, amazing things that you're seeing on screen don't really align with what I'm feeling as the player at the time. And so I was thinking about like, could those moments be captured in such a way that is more procedural? If you have a city like the Grand Theft Auto five city, and basically, you uh. just have to find your way through it. There is no through line. It's just up to you to just get to where you need to be. And if you don't make it, you don't make it. And that's the way it goes sometimes. But you're not following a pathway. You're doing your best to just kind of survive. Kind of like a Mirror's Edge 2 as opposed to Mirror's Edge 1 in a way. I think that's interesting. And maybe one of the ways I know that the original pitch talked about doing this as you're trying to escape a small building or something like that. I think one way to do a procedural generated thing that feels reasonably fast paced and even comfortable in VR might be to set the whole thing in a car. Yeah. Um, maybe then, cause I feel like those moments in, in it, when in halo games where like things are collapsing around you and they're, they're just random enough where you do feel like there's like, Oh, I don't know if this was perfectly authored or if I cued myself at the in the wrong moment during the authoring period, there's that level of like having to quickly take a side street because the mountain is collapsing because the, you know, the, the sky is falling essentially and trying to 
uh, keep everybody in your car safe or keep the pedestrians safe in the meantime, like having to stop for a moment and honk at pedestrians to like get them to safety and then keep going. And you could have that real balance of like trying to save yourself, but bonuses for trying to save others as well. The only thing that I don't like about that, and I was thinking about cars as well, um, is that cars give you very limited range of mobility. I mean, you can move quickly, but you can't climb over things. You can't go under things. You can't squeeze into tight spaces. You know, I think that there's part of that survivalism is, is fun in those like Tomb Raider games when you find a little crack in the wall and you think maybe I can just squeeze Laura through there and, uh, you know, and just kind of like getting by and improvising in a way that you can't fully improvise in a car. You kind of have to have ramps set up for you if you want to jump over something, you know, there's not that same level of like freedom. And so maybe, maybe you are on foot most of the time, but you have the option of taking a car but it takes a little time to get started. So you're kind of risking something there, but if you can get going then you can, you can take to the streets and move pretty quickly. But then if there's, if rubble starts to pile up or if there's a, if there's a hill that you need to go on, that's off road, then, you know, the car is only going to take you so far. And so it's, it's a risk reward. How much reward are you going to get for the risk that it takes to uh, engage with the car in the first place? That's a good point. I, I think in terms of narrative conceit, maybe a right balance here could be the end the earthquake, right? We've seen yeah. earthquake cause a enough devastation to something like a city. Maybe it is able to happen at the speed of somebody on foot could still escape it. It's still reasonably dynamic and widespread. And you could give the player maybe a seismic monitor so that they could see uh, or have some moments of advanced knowledge as to like where the ground will crack next, some seismometer, whatever that I forget what they're called, but something to say, okay, things are, I'm going into an area that's less stable here. Maybe I should steer away from it. Or this is, uh, I feel like I can get through this part quickly and make those decisions at a, a sort of breakneck pace. But I think you have to make running very comfortable somehow. Uh, and maybe that's not a big deal, but, uh, it, you know, it could be for some people. All right. We're out of time. Let's come up with a name for this game. Was one provided? Yes. It looks like here, uh, user Smidley has called it Lava Run. Lava Run. That's a nice kind of mobile game ring to it. <laughs> it does. Although I've never heard nice mobile game in the same. <laughs> there are yeah, some good people. ones. There are some good ones. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. That that will do. Um, of course, as I mentioned before, we are dangerously low on on video game pitches from the community. So if you have something you would like to email in, uh, then you can do so by emailing us at uh, playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast in all of those instances. It is spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And hey, maybe if uh, we keep running low or you feel like you don't have a pitch of your own, 
check out r slash game ideas and send us one that you want to hear us talk about. Make sure you credit the original poster and just send us a link so that we can give them the proper credit and point people in that direction. But that could be an avenue of getting some game ideas our way as well. And of course, thank you to all the rest of the Cane and Rinse podcast network, which you can go to CaneandRinse.com, the central hub for all things Kane and Rinse and do things like support the network by contributing to a Patreon. And a lot of people dedicate a lot of hours, just like my co-host here, to doing this work. And it's great to be able to support them in what they do. So, yeah, go become a patron. Be a part. And to take us out of the show today, I'm going to deliver a miniature pitch. Um, how about a game where you are tasked with uh, with creating action figures. You have an action figure in front of you, and your job is to choose which of its limbs or appendages or anything like that can bend. And you have a very limited number of bends that you can put in this Ugh. thing, and you and then they fight each other and see who wins. <laughs> Gross. I love it. So, you know, elbows, knees, that kind of thing. Anyways, we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.